weeks or so together uh, looking through this book. And um, uh, a book which is written to the people of Colossae, uh, Paul having never met uh, the people of Colossae, but having heard of their testimony and heard of what God um, had, had done through their lives, really through the very work of Paul himself. And um, so we're looking in Colossians chapter 4, and really we're actually chapter 3, the tail end of chapter 3 up through chapter 4 this evening. And um, just before we uh, would read together, let's pray and uh, we'll ask the Lord, just, let's just stand together. I know you just got settled in, but that's okay. Brother Thornton had you sit in a while, so let's get the blood, the blood flowing a little bit. Okay, let's pray together. Our Heavenly Gracious Father, we thank you that uh, we can be here in your house. We ask for your blessing upon this service this evening. And Lord, I pray that you would be honored and glorified uh, through everything that is said uh, for the remainder of our time here. Lord, we even pray for our time of, of communion. Uh, Lord, may it be honor and glorifying to you. Lord, we ask that you would speak to our hearts tonight, encourage us from your word. We pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. If you'd stay standing with me, look with me in your Bibles, Colossians chapter 3 and verse number 17. Colossians 3 and verse 17. The word of God says, And whatsoever ye do in word or deed, do all in the name of our Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God in the Father by him. I'll, let's read that verse together again. Verse 17. Everyone together, ready? Begin. And whatsoever ye do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. You may be seated. We talked together last week about the roles uh, that God gives to those of the home and those who are leaders. Uh, from verse 18 down through verse uh, 1, really, of chapter 4, we see a description given to the wives, the husbands, the children, the fathers, the servants, and the masters. And we look together at the parallel passage in Ephesians of, of each of these roles, God's intent of the home and God's intent of the servants and the leaders. And when we look into chapter 4, we see now uh, God's intent for the Christian as a whole. Uh, we've talked together about really the context of each chapter. Chapter 1 of Colossians is uh, speaking much of Christ. In chapter 2, we see the church being spoken to. In chapter 3 is the Christian. And in chapter 4, we see the Christian being uh, spoken to directly yet once again. And so we see God's intent for the Christian. Notice with me in verse number 2. The Bible says, Continue in prayer and watch in the same with thanksgiving with all praying also for us that God would open unto us a door of utterance to speak the mystery of Christ, for which I am also in bonds, that I may make it manifest as I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom toward them that are without, redeeming the time. Let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt, that ye may know how ye ought to answer every man. Uh, the Bible tells us this, God's intent for the Christian begins first with the matter of prayer. Verse 2, he says, continue in prayer, a consistency in prayer. He continues, and watch in the same. So there is a living with our eyes fixed upon Jesus, as we talked about even this morning. Our prayer life isn't just the times that we're down upon our knees and bowing our heads before God, but our prayer life should be consistent all throughout our day, all throughout our life. And so uh, we're continuing in prayer. We're watching in the same. And the Bible says, with thanksgiving. So it's a thanking God every day. I had somebody ask me, uh, you know, when I pray, uh, I, I, you know, is it right for me? Is it okay for me to t spend time with God in thanksgiving? 
Yes, by all means, praise God. The Bible tells us uh, that there is a manner in which we are to pray. Matthew chapter 6, after this manner, therefore pray ye. But we are to spend much time in thanksgiving. You can never spend too much time thanking God. Amen? Just make sure that your thankfulness is genuine. That's not artificial. When we think of the Pharisees in their time of prayer, why did they pray? They prayed for the purpose of being heard so that others could say something about what they'd done. Look at how spiritual we are. So in our prayers, they should be consistent. They should be uh, with our eyes fixed upon Christ continually, and they should be with thanksgiving. Notice with me, secondly, the area of witnessing. God's intent for the Christian is to pray, but also to witness. Verse 3, with all praying also for us, that God would open a door of utterance. That's worth marking in your Bible. A door of utterance to speak the mystery of Christ, for which I am also in bonds that I may make it manifest as I ought to speak. Why is it a mystery of Christ? It's because to the unknown, to the unsaved, it is a mystery. They don't know about Christ. They've not heard about Christ. Some have never been told about Christ. So here's the prayer Paul is saying as he's speaking to the people of Colossae, that God would open a door of utterance, that is utterance from our mouth, that God would open a door of opportunity for us to be able to speak the gospel and share the mystery of Christ, share the gospel, the good news of Christ with those to whom have never heard. Amen? And so may that be our prayer, by the way, of Community Bible Church, that we would pray for God to open doors of utterance, doors of opportunity to be able to speak. And he really speaks, uh, he speaks much upon our speech. I want you to notice, um, before we, we look together again at verse 5, the Bible talks about two things in verse 5 and 6. He tells us to walk in wisdom. And then in verse 6, he says, let your speech be always with grace. He talks about two things, your walk in your speech. In verse 3, he mentions uh, to speak of a door of utterance. And so there's a clear connection between our walk and our talk. There's a clear connection between our walk and our talk. Uh, and we understand this as verse 5 says, walk in wisdom toward them that are without. So uh, what, what is it that, uh, that we are to do? We are not to be saying or doing anything that would make it difficult to share the gospel. Verse 5, walk in wisdom toward them that are without those that are without Christ, those that have never heard of the mystery of Christ, let us walk in wisdom, in discernment, with God's leading in our life to be able to uh, exemplify Christ even by the way that we walk. Somebody says, oh, I can't share the gospel. It's hard for me to share it from my mouth. Well, you can live the gospel, amen? And others can see it by the way that you live. So in your walk, um, I once heard it said this way, uh, that those that are outside of the family of God, those who are speaking of without. So uh, understand that it is those um, that have not received Christ are the ones who, are who we are asking God for opportunity to, to receive. And he says at the end, redeeming the time. So there is a, a, a really a, not a command, but an imperative sentence that is made, a specific guarding of our time because of the need of the gospel. Because our time can be so consumed. Really, this is so connection, not intentional, but so connection even what we talked about this morning and looking in the book of Ecclesiastes chapter 5. Our time can be so consuming with other things. But we should be praying that God would give us doors of utterance to speak the mystery of Christ, not just through our walk, but also through our talk. And look at what he says about our talk, verse 6. Let your speech be always with grace. So it's being controlled by grace, for the sake of the gospel. Uh, in verse 6, he continues, seasoned with salt. You understand what salt for us still does today. It preserves, 
and its seasons. It, it, it helps to keep it within its original state. It helps to, uh, to, to uh, really add a more taste, we would say, even in description. And so the Bible tells us our speech is to be pure. It is to be properly seasoned, properly seasoned. We're seasoning it with salt. What is that salt? It's the grace of God. So we're speaking with grace. Uh, we can be so rash sometimes. We can be too bold sometimes. We can speak the truth without love and, and more or less speak the truth without grace. And so God says here, let your speech be always with grace. There's not to be a time in which we are not speaking with grace. Uh, even to the unsaved, may I say, not just to the saved, but even to the unsaved, let our speech be with grace. Because the individual who's living the gospel is walking it and is talking it. And so it's seasoned with salt. So we see a harmony of the walk and the talk being together. In verse 17, uh, really as we read together, it draws that same connection again in whatsoever you do in word or deed. So again, we see by the words which we say, by the actions which we do, our walk and our talk, what are they to be done? The Bible says, do all in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Everything we do should be for the purpose of pleasing God. So, and we're really capstoning our, our subject from last uh, week together. God's intent for the home, God's intent for the servants and leaders, and we see God's intent for the Christian, that we be much in prayer, we be much in our witnessing, and our witnessing is through our walk, and it is also through our talk. Through the remainder of the chapter, we now are, are brought to um, Paul's companions in ministry. And if you're like me, I, I like to take a step further. Maybe I'm just an overachiever, but I like to take a, uh, even different markers and things. And, and, and the, the color in which I'm marking in my, or highlighting in my Bible helps to identify that which I'm defining in the margin. And so uh, what I've done for myself, I just use the color green, but I've marked all the different names, all the different companions of Paul, which he gets ready to mention. And uh, for sake of time, we're not going to read through the entire passage at once. We'll read it through broken. But I want to bring out to you the names. In verse 7, as you may mark in your Bible, the Bible tells us of Tychicus. Tychicus, verse 7. In verse 9, we're told of Onesimus. In verse 10, of Aristarchus. In verse 11, of Justice. In verse 12, of Epaphras. In verse 14, of Luke and Demas. In verse 15, we're told of Nymphus. Uh, uh, That's a hard name to say. In verse 17, we're told of Archippus. And then, of course, in verse 18 itself, Paul speaks of himself. So, really, he, why is he telling us of these? These are his companions. We see the first of those companions are described as being faithful. And it is Tychicus and Onesimus, the, his uh, beloved brethren, the Bible tells us, and faithful ministers. Look at verse 7. The Bible says, All my state shall Tychicus declare unto you, who is a beloved brother and a faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord, whom I sent unto you for the same purpose, that he might know your estate and comfort your hearts with Onesimus, a faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you. They shall make known unto you all things which are done here. And so the Bible refers to him, uh, he, Paul refers to them as his beloved brethren. Uh, they, they are both uh, his brothers in Christ. He loves them in Christ. He calls them faithful ministers. What are they ministering of? Somebody say, oh, we're the ministering of the gospel. Well, in reality, they're actually delivering the letters. It is uh, Tychicus who carried the letters to Ephesus and to Colossae. 
And there's Onesimus who carried the letter uh, of Philemon. Uh, and so uh, these were faithful ministers of him. They've been faithful to him. And so he's sending them out. This is his description, his definition of them. They've been faithful to uh, God's calling of their life and even to the lead, his leading within the ministry. He calls them also a fellow servant. They were willing captives, not just uh, for the sake of the gospel, but for God himself. They were willing captives for, Lord, for the Lord. If it meant that they were going to be persecuted, if it meant that they would even be crucified, so they were willing to do all that was necessary to, uh, to obey the Lord and to fulfill his command for their lives. So we see the faithful. Take a kiss in Onesimus. Let me ask you, Christian, would that be described of you, that you are a faithful Christian, that you are a faithful companion in ministry, that others would know you to be where you should be in your place, not just in church, but in your own spiritual life, that you're faithful to God's calling of your life, that God has clearly been moving in your life because you've been faithful and willing to move however, arrange, rearrange, however, within your schedule, within your, your own life, arrange and move whatever necessary in order to fill and accomplish, to, to fulfill and accomplish the will of God. So we read of the faithful. Number two, the fellow prisoner. The fellow prisoner. Aristarchus is mentioned in the book of Acts. In fact, if you want to turn there with me, keeping your finger in Colossians, Acts chapter 19, there's so much time that we really we could spend in looking at the history of these different men whom he mentions, many of which are mentioned in the book of Acts. Others uh, are um, uh, mentioned elsewhere. In the book of Ephesians, you see that parallel. He ends the book of Ephesians giving the very same names, once again, of all these companions. Uh, but Aristarchus is mentioned in the book of Acts chapter 19 and verse number uh, 29. Acts chapter 19 and verse number 29. The Bible says, and the whole city was filled with confusion. And having caught Gaius and Aristarchus, men of the Macedonia, Paul's companions in travel, they rushed with one accord into the theater. You remember it was this time that they were almost killed with Paul uh, as a result of a riot, and that was raised by Demetrius, the silversmith. Remember, it had to do with the goddess Diana. And, uh, and this Aristarchus was that faithful companion. He was grabbed by the mob. It was very likely that he was going to lose his life. And so the reference that is made here of a fellow prisoner, he's saying, hey, you're right there with me. We were held captive together. We were within the battle together. Look at chapter 20 and verse number four. The Bible tells us Aristarchus and Secutus and Gaius and Derby and Timotheus and of Asia. So here we see Aristarchus again going with Paul to Greece and at another time back to Asia Minor. And so Aristarchus is mentioned again, even in Acts chapter 27. And in verse number two, uh, we read in Acts 27 of the, the uh, infamous shipwreck that uh, Paul is in while prisoner on his way to Rome. In Acts 27, verse two, and entering into the ship of Adiratim, we launched meaning to sail by the coast of Asia, one of Aristarchus, a Macedonian of Thessalonica, being with us. So really, uh, he, we see him now accompanying with Paul to Rome. And may I remind you, it was Luke who was also there with him and Paul and, and Luke having written the book of Acts. And so um, what do we know of Aristarchus? He was a fellow prisoner, a fellow prisoner. He was willing to pay, catch this, he was willing to pay whatever was necessary for the cause of Christ. He was willing to pay whatever was necessary for the cause of Christ. It didn't matter if that included his own finance to get where God called him. 
It didn't matter if that included his time. He gave all of his time. It didn't matter if that included his own life in giving of it. He was willing to give it. So we've seen of Tychicus and Onesimus, the faithful. We've read of Aristarchus, the fellow prisoner. And in verse 10 of Colossians chapter 4, we read of the fellow workers, the fellow workers, uh, two of which are mentioned, uh, John Mark and Justice. John Mark and Justice. In verse 10, he continues, My fellow prisoner saluteth you, that being Aristarchus, and Marcus, that's John Mark, sister's son to Barnabas, touching whom ye receive commandments, if he come unto you, receive him. What do we know of John Mark? Remember, it was John Mark who didn't finish. <laughs> it was John Mark who had left and returned home while with Paul. Now, Paul being a companion of him, he doesn't speak ill of him. Actually, in 2 Timothy, uh, if you want to turn there with me, if not, you can just listen. 2 Timothy chapter 4, in verse number 11, we uh, hear in our read of reference to Mark. While Paul, it seems, in the book of Acts was maybe a slight bit, there may have been a slight bit of contention, maybe a slight bit of bad blood between he and John Mark. But yet, when Timothy is written to, references made of John Mark. 2 Timothy 4, verse 11. Only Luke is with me. Take Mark and bring him with thee, for he, notice, is profitable to me for the ministry. So what has he spoken well of? He's profitable because he was a fellow worker. Uh, even though uh, he, he uh, and here's the great example of, of John Mark. We can learn from him in, in relation to us that even when you may feel like you have failed in your service to God, God still forgives and God can still use you. Amen? And, and here we see of John Mark still being used of God and being used to be a fellow worker of Paul and, and profiting Paul in his ministry. And Justice, a man whom we don't know much of, uh, but Justice being mentioned, we see in, back in chapter 4 and verse number 11, and Jesus uh, is called Justice, who are of the circumcision. These only are my fellow workers unto the kingdom of God, which have been a comfort unto me. Uh, so justice, really, uh, the other name that could be used is Joshua, but justice, uh, what we know of him, he's a Jewish believer. He served with Paul. Uh, we don't know anything more of his testimony, but here's what we do know. He was a faithful believer who served God and who did what God had called and led him to do, who's a fellow worker. And this is what Paul calls him, both he and John Mark. These, are, these only are my fellow workers. They were right alongside. If there's one person I could depend upon to get the work done, it was John Mark and it was Justice. Need, that, need you know more about their names, need you know, need more about their testimony, just know this, that they were a fellow worker. They weren't afraid to work. They weren't afraid to get their hands dirty. May I say some Christians, uh, they, they say, well, I'm willing to work, I'm willing to serve God, but there are some things that I don't want to do. Uh, some, sometimes we use the term even, they say, I'm burnt out. I've done the same thing so many times and I don't want to do it anymore. The truth is, uh, you may feel like you've been overworked, and, and in some cases, uh, man can overwork other men. Amen? But the Bible tells us at the end of the day, at the end of the day, the work to whom we are to be doing it for is God. And we should never allow ourselves to get tired of working for God. Amen? As we've read already together in chapter 3, and go back and study it if you need to, the Bible speaks of the servants and the masters. Uh, the, the, though you may feel like uh, there's been uh, some authority that's over you that, that, that kind of rubbed ministry wrong for you, and you may feel like you have some form of recovery that you need to go through, understand this, the Bible tells us that God, that God will um, uh, take care of those who treat you wrongly. 
Even, in, even among the leaders. Look at chapter 6, verse 1. Masters, give unto your servants that which is just and equal, knowing that ye also have a master in heaven. As we talked about last week, uh, you may be a master, <laughs> you may be someone in charge of something, but you serve under the master, being God himself. And so uh, never think that, uh, allow yourself to fall under the thinking that you are serving man before God. In all of our service and fellow working together, we are to work for the sake of Christ. Amen? All right, let's look together at the prayer warriors. The prayer warrior, and I say warriors, uh, a singular though, prayer warrior, Epaphras. Much is said about Epaphras in comparison to these others. Um, before we look in chapter 4, look at Colossians 1, verse 7. Colossians 1, verse 7. The Word of God says, As ye also learned of Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, for who is for you a faithful minister of Christ, who also declared unto us your love in the Spirit. And so here he's called a fellow servant. We see that phrase again, a faithful minister. In Colossians chapter 4, in verse 12, it says this of him, Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ, saluteth you. A history tells us that it was Epaphras who was led to Christ through Paul's ministry in Ephesus, and it was he serving alongside of Paul that very likely founded the Church of Colossae, or at least was very instrumental in the starting of the Church of Colossae. And that's why he's mentioned in chapter 1, uh, where reference primarily is made of Christ, he gives credit to the testimony of Epaphras, because it very much seems that it is Epaphras who is so instrumental in being used of God to start this church. And so, verse 13, notice what it says of him, Colossians 4, For I bear him record that he hath a great zeal for you, and them that are in Laodicea, and them in Hierapolis. And we don't know a whole lot about these places, but history would tell us it would seem that he very likely had helped to start these churches also. See, what Paul is making reference to is these people groups. And he's given a special credit to him of whose, uh, for I bear him record that he hath a great zeal for you. And so he's making a specific reference to the fact that he is delivering a specific message. And, and so we see of, uh, of Epaphras in his testimony. Notice what verse 12 says of him. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ, saluteth you always, and notice as it continues in the verse, in prayers. Always in prayers. Um, we, we, we've already made a particular reference to the laboring fervently, that being a fellow servant, the Bible tells us. He was willing to labor. He was uh, what motivated him to be this fellow servant, what motivated him to be one who labored fervently, uh, it was his prayers. He prayed constantly. And by the way, that laboring fervently was connection to his prayers. So he was laboring fervently in prayer. And so uh, this is a always, the Bible says. This is continual. This is constant. In fact, he's really defining Colossians 4, verse 2, as we just read, where the Bible tells us to continue in prayer and watch in the same with thanksgiving. This is Epaphras. He's a prayerful man. He's consistent in his prayer life. And the fervency of his praying, um, the Greek word used to describe an athlete as they give themselves to a sport is the same uh, context in the, in the words which are used to describe the always laboring fervently. So he's exerting himself and he's giving himself 
so wholeheartedly as an athlete would within a sport. As we would think of even a runner, and much description is made of runners in the Word of God, he's throwing his whole self into it. Even uh, right up until the finish line, he's throwing himself forward. And so the Bible tells us he's, here Epaphras is laboring fervently. He's throwing himself into his prayers. He's laboring fervently. He's giving himself wholly to prayer. Oh, that, that America, that community Bible church, that churches all across the world are in so much more need of prayer. Amen? That we would not just be continual in prayer, but that we would labor fervently together in prayer. I've really enjoyed the times, especially this past month or so, the time of our prayer time on Wednesday nights has just been so sweet. Uh, and and it's, there's not been any limit per se to it. We've just been praying, and sometimes we'll pray nearly half an hour. Somebody says, wow, that's a long time, laboring fervently. We, we, you know, uh, how, how much is true that, as we talked about this morning, sometimes there can be the individual who doesn't listen to God and always has something to say, but then there's the individual who only listens and doesn't say anything. And so we as Christians are to be ones who are praying constantly. We're praying fervently. And notice the Bible tells us he prayed personally. He prayed personally. He says, uh, Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ, saluteth you always, laboring fervently for you in prayers. For you in prayers. So now we see a focus. Him being specific. He focused his prayers on the Christians specifically. The Christians in Colossae. And, and it, really, we get this idea that he carries them in his own heart. He so cares for the needs of his own people. May I say, Christians, so that our testimony and our prayer life would be the same, that we would carry the needs and that we would carry the desires of our fellow believers, our fellow Christians in Community Bible Church, carry them in our hearts, that when, uh, when our brothers and sisters in Christ are crying, that we're crying with them. That when our brothers and sisters in Christ are asking for prayer, that we're praying for them. And, and so we're praying fervently together, continually together. And really, you could bring that whole idea of unity together. Uh, he's, he's praying so definitely, so personally. And uh, as I come, bring along further, that praying definitely, notice what, he sa- what it says of him in verse 12 at the end of the verse. That ye may stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. Even before you see him praying, you know, pray for uh, Susie's leg and, and Johnny's nose, and, and before he's praying for these specific, what is he praying for? That they may stand perfect and complete in the will of God. I'd mark that in your Bible if, if I were you, because if you know anything, if you remember anything of what we studied together in the book of Colossians, you would know that the whole context of the entire book speaks of being complete in Christ. And it talks about Christ being preeminent in our life, and that uh, that being perfect in Christ, not being that we're sinless, but understanding that we as God's people are, are uh, letting Christ be preeminent. We're letting, uh, the, letting our obedience to Christ and the roles in which he's called us to, to be fulfilled to the best of our ability. Um, in Colossians 2, just a page over, if you want to look at this verse, verse 9, and actually verse 10, Colossians 2, verse 9 and 10, the Bible says, For in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and ye are complete in him, which is the head of all principality and power. So this is his prayer, that we would stay, that we would stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. So we're praying for the will of God in each other's lives. 
We're carrying each other in our hearts for the will of God to be done for one another. And may I say, when we think of ourselves as a whole community Bible church, we're praying for the will of God to be done in our church. Amen? We're praying for God's perfect will that we would stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. We can stand, but are we standing perfect and complete in God's will? And so this is his prayer. He's praying specifically in this way. And, and notice how he prays sacrificially in verse 13. For I bear him record that he hath a great zeal for you, a great zeal. Again, it's with this idea of throwing himself into his prayers. He's concerned. He's praying for all these churches. And that's why it's made mention of the church in Laodicea and, the, and this, this other church uh, in, in, within chapter 4. He's praying so consistently, so continually, so uh, carrying it in his heart for these ones. What a prayer warrior. Amen? What a testimony. Praying sacrificially. Let me ask you, Christian, what or who do you pray for? What do your prayers consist of? Do they consist of unity with the brethren? Do they consist of praying for the perfect and complete will of God in our fellow believers' lives? Do, do they consist of, uh, of, of sacrificing? Do they consist of praying specifically, not generally? Uh, you know, Lord be with Jason, or Lord please be with uh, Miss Perkins, but praying specifically for the need. And praying that God's perfect will would be done in every individual, in every uh, life. And uh, we're brought then, then now to the next companion as we move along. The Bible tells us of the layman. The layman. This being Luke. Verse 14. Luke, the beloved physician. Uh, the, this, this is uh, Luke as we know him to be in the book of Luke, writing that book, writing the book of Acts. One of the disciples himself and one of the apostles. He was... Uh, what do we know of Luke? We know him to be, catch this, a professional man with a secular job who still gave his life to God and served God with what he did. What a great example that is uh, to us in, uh, of Luke. Luke was not a called preacher. We don't see Luke or know of Luke to be one who particularly started a church. But Luke was one who was known as the physician, as the doctor. He had a professional degree. He was admired and respected for who he was. He, he had great skill and great talent. But it, it wasn't that he had to go start a church. It wasn't that he couldn't serve in the church. But we see him as, uh, in his profession and what he did, willing to serve in whatever way that he possibly could. And this made him a companion of Paul. That Paul would mention him along with these others. It wasn't uh, that he had any specific calling of direct ministry. But he was willing with what he was called to do to let God work in and through him in using that. He, as the Bible tells us, delighted himself in the Lord, and God's desires became his desires. He allowed his profession, his skill, his talents to be used for the honor and glory of God. No matter who you are, what you do with your life, what you can do with your hands, with your mind, what gifts that God has given you, whatever profession you may have in life, may that profession be first given to God. And the Bible tells us and speaks much of the blessings that are given to those who put Christ first. And um, so you don't have to be a preacher to serve the Lord or to let him use you. Amen? Uh, you can be just a, a, a man working a job and still serving God. Amen? Notice as it continues, the Bible tells us of the backsliding Christian. The backsliding Christian. Demas, for what little we know of him, is not uh, spoken um, well of in other passages of Scripture. Verse 14 Luke, the beloved physician, 
and Demas greet you. If you turn just a few pages over to Philemon, Philemon verse 24, Philemon verse 24 were said on a positive note of who Demas was. Philemon verse 24, if you're in chapter 2, you're in the wrong Bible, okay? <laughs> Philemon verse 24, the Bible tells us Marcus, Aristarchus, Demas, Lucas, my fellow laborers. So here we have a man who worked together with Paul. He served in ministry. But what happened, the Bible tells us, he had fallen away. 2 Timothy chapter 4, and I know we're turning back and forth, but uh, stay with me, bear with me as best as you can. 2 Timothy chapter 4, in verse number 10, 2 Timothy 4 verse 10, we see the backsliding Christian. Yes, he was a fellow laborer, but what happened? 2 Timothy 4 verse 10. We see him forsaking. He labored with Paul, but then he forsook Paul. For Demas, 4 verse 10, for Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world, and is departed unto Thessalonica, Cretans to Galatia, Titus unto Dalmatia. The Bible tells us he forsook the ministry. He forsook the, his fellow laborers in Christ, having loved the world. Now let me just say a couple things on this note, uh, that we, we see that Demas is a Christian. Amen? Demas has been used by God, and, and he's been described even as a fellow laborer. He's been serving. Maybe he's been preaching and teaching. He's been serving God, but he's allowed himself to fall into the, a love for things of this world first. Now, what condition of that love? I don't know. I know what 1 John verse 2 and 15 through 17 says concerning uh, our sin. The Bible says, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, what? The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. These are some of the things, the definitions of what he would have fallen into. Now, I'll say this concerning, concerning Demas. Yes, he forsook. It's not like God cannot forgive. Amen? And, and by the way, there are many people who fall out, we would say. They've, they've fallen out in ministry. They've gotten themselves uh, to maybe where they're not qualified for some areas of ministry. But that does not mean that God does not forgive. Amen? God is an all-forgiving God, and praise the Lord for that. And by the way, that does not mean that God can never use them. God can use anyone if their life is given to God. You may not be uh, able to do some areas of qualifications, but God is able to use anyone. And so we see and understand with Demas as a man who forsook God. Do we know if, we ever, if he ever turned back? I don't know. But we all know people who once served God faithfully and allowed themselves to fall away. They got themselves out of church. Or uh, they, they, they got themselves in, involved in, in, in some things of this world that brought them out of their faithfulness to Christ. Never, never stop believing in people, Christian. Amen? Never stop believing in people. Just because someone falls away doesn't mean that God cannot forgive. It doesn't mean that God cannot use. And so we understand of Demas, while we should not do as he did, so there are people in this world that do as he did. And we should do as Christ has done for us. Love, forgive, believe in, and let God use them. And so uh, here we see, as we've looked together at these really seven different companions, we've seen the faithful, Tychicus and Onesimus, the fellow prisoner, Aristarchus. We've seen the fellow workers, John, Mark, and Justice, the prayer warrior, Epaphras. We've seen uh, the layman, Luke, the backsliding Christian, Demas, 
And he ends in his final words, speaking again in reference to Tychicus and Onesimus. Notice verse 15. The Bible says, Salute the brethren which are in Laodicea and Nymphus, and the church which is in his house. So what we know of this man Nymphus is the church met in his home. That's often uh, how, how churches would meet, was within the homes of people. And we find that in the book of Acts as the church uh, was officially instituted. And the Bible continues, And when this epistle is read among you, cause that it be read also in the church of Laodiceans, and that ye likewise read the epistle from Laodicea. And so Paul requests, and again, this request is being through those who are delivering, Tychicus and Onesimus, as he's delivering this letter to, he's reminding, uh, or, or rather he's requesting for his greeting to be given uh, and for the letters to be read. Uh, may I say this, I've underlined this in, in, in my Bible, where the Bible says, when the epistle is read, cause that it be read. <laughs> Anytime you're in the house of God, the word of God should be read. Amen? There's no word of God being read or being, or being quoted, even for that matter. Uh, you, you might ask yourself, where is all this coming from? And so uh, Paul's making it very specific. Make sure it's read. Make sure this is read. And today, this, this letter becomes scripture for us, having been inspired, uh, having, God having inspired and speaking through Paul. Uh, look at verse 18. The Bible says, And I say to uh, Archippus, Take heed to the ministry that thou hast received in the Lord, that thou fulfill it. A couple things I would note to you of this. We don't know much about Archippus, but he's speaking directly to him. And what does he say? Take heed to the ministry that thou hast received. He's reminding him that the, the ministry he has is, has been received from God. God has gifted it to him. And aren't you thankful for the ministry that God has given to us here? Amen? God has given us the ministry of Community Bible Church, and every ministry that flows out of it is because of God and as a result of God. And so the Bible tells us um, that he is to be a good steward. This is what he's telling him. Take heed to the ministry which thou hast received in the Lord. Be a good steward of it. Take good care of it. Do your part. Be faithful to it. Serve God faithfully within it. And I, and I think that last part of the verse is so necessary that thou fulfill it. Here the challenge is, Finish the work. God's given you a work. Finish it. Don't quit. Don't allow yourself to fall away. There's no coincidence that he's just mentioned Demas who'd fallen away, and now he's telling uh, Archippus, hey, finish the work. Don't quit. Don't, don't allow yourself to get discouraged. Don't allow yourself to fall away. Don't, don't become unfaithful. You finish what God has placed before you. If God has placed it on your heart, if God has made it clear that that's his will for your life, you step in that door. You stay there as, as long as God would lead. You don't quit. You stay faithful. Fulfill it. Amen? The Bible closes then in verse 19. The salutation by the hand of me, Paul. Remember my bonds. I think it's so interesting that in an entire book of Colossians, he mentions everyone else, including God himself, and he speaks of himself directly in one verse at the very end. This being, yes, his, we would call his autograph at the end. It's, it's, it's being seen as he's finishing up his letter. But he says this of himself, remember my bonds. What is he saying? He's, he's not lifting himself as being higher or better, but he's saying the bonds, the persecution, the, the imprisonments, what I've gone through for Christ is evidence of my love for the lost and my obedience to Christ. Remember Remember not who I am, but remember the bonds. Why was I in bonds? Out of my love for Christ. Why was I in bonds? Out of obedience to God. 
So he says, if you're to remember me in any way, remember me for this, for what I've done for Christ. Amen? What a testimony. And, and again, so much time could be spent in the, in the book of Colossians studying these individuals. And I would encourage you, if you would get the time, to study through these on a, on a very thorough basis. But as Paul gives his final words and speaks of himself, remember my bonds. I brought, brought back to that very principle given in Colossians 3, whatsoever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. And here, after just saying all these things that we are to do and describing the roles of the home, God's intent for the home, God's intent for the servant and leaders, God's intent for the Christian, he now goes on to describe, here are some people who either serve God as they should or they failed. Let me ask you, Christian, which, which are you? Are you a companion of Christ first with fellow Christians? Are you described as a fellow worker, a fellow servant, a faithful minister, a beloved brother, a beloved sister? Would that describe you? Are you a prayer warrior? Are, are you doing all that God has called you to do to completely fulfill the will of God in your life? Or are you seeking to be remembered for something? Paul says, don't remember me for me, remember my bonds. Christian, may we be remembered for what we've done for Christ. Amen? Lord, I pray that you would help us to be companions for you, to be an example.